The Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. So he summoned the steward and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship because you can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, What shall I do now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. So he called in his master's debtors one by one. To the first he said, How much do you owe my master? He replied, One hundred measures of olive oil. And he said to him, Here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for fifty. Then to another the steward said, And you, how much do you owe? He replied, one hundred cores of wheat. The steward said to him, Here is your promissory note. Write one for eighty. And the master commanded that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones. And the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If therefore you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you're not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Can you hear me okay? Acoustics are good? Okay. (laughs) So we all know Jesus was a great teacher. And uh, the characteristic that made him a great teacher was that he was a great storyteller. He loved to tell stories, parables in particular. And sometimes sometimes Jesus' parables uh, bonk us over the head and kind of wake us up. They're, They're meant to do that. Other times they sort of quietly over time sort of work their way into our hearts and sort of uh, insinuate themselves into our lives with a little time and reflection. We say, oh yeah, that's what it's about. And sometimes his parables leave us scratching our heads and saying, what in God's name was that all about? <laughs> and it's my luck uh, that um, today we get one of the third kind, <laughs> the ones that leave you saying, what? <laughs> Jesus, is, what is he getting at anyway? 
Um, so, you know, the parable is a weird one, and then the explanations afterwards are even weirder. They, they don't seem like they fit. They don't kind of come together. It's like, what's the lesson here? I don't get it. I don't understand. You know, the base of the story is you've got this, you've got this uh, steward, this guy, this underling who is in charge of the guy, the rich guy's money and, you know, of his stuff and paying his bills, all that kind of stuff. And then he's you know, he, he gets himself into trouble and the guy's going to fire him. And so to get, you know, the, uh, be welcomed on the other side when he, how's that one line go? I'm too lazy to work and too proud to beg or something like that. Um, you know, he, he, he lowers the debts of his master's debtors and it all goes from there. And I, so, you know, Jesus was creative with these stories and he was clever, and he, he kind of repurposed them often enough. And uh, I think that gives us a little bit of permission to kind of reinterpret the story or add a little color to it maybe. And hopefully then it can kind of make sense in our times and in our place so that we're not quite scratching our heads so much. So with this particular story, um, what if um, that master, the rich guy, the guy that has all the stuff, what if he had gained all of that stuff and all of that wealth through really unjust means what if he was really a bad guy and and you know he used his power his economic power his social standing you know to trample on people and to take advantage of them and to suck whatever little bit of wealth they might have had and bring it to himself leaving them poor and indebted to him forever and ever and ever Uh, it could be that that's the kind of character we're dealing with here And the fact that this reading is combined with the reading from Amos from the Old Testament, which, you know, the prophet goes after the rich for treading on the poor, maybe gives us some help in going in that direction. And and so this guy is not a good guy. He's a, you know, he's a cheat and he's a scoundrel. He's used his power and his cleverness to gain up and become rich at the expense of everyone else. And these debts that are owed to him are debilitating debts. So, you know, the guy that owes 100 things of oil and 80 things, you know, 50 things of wheat, you know, those could very well have been debts that could never, ever in a million years be paid. So basically, these people are enslaved to him. And that practice still goes on today where, you know, there's people who, big companies and corporations that set up towns that you know, that, they, that are used to make the workers indebted to the company that they can never get out of. And that's maybe what these people are experiencing, is that they've been kind of, kind of sucked into a kind of slavery that they can never get out of because these debts are impossible to pay back. Never in a million years can I pay back. So it's this great sadness that these people report back, you know, a hundred cores of wheat is what I owe. How can I ever make that up? I'll never do. I'm stuck in poverty and a kind of slavery forever and ever and ever until I die. And, and so when the, the, the steward, maybe, you know, he's, he's not a good guy either because he's been, he's been uh, a co-conspirator with the rich guy all this time. He's been a collaborator with this this, this really kind of unjust and awful and uncompassionate way of treating the poor and of his workers and all of that. But when, it, when his time comes to get fired and to get you know, sent down the ranks to the poor, you know, he uses what little power he has left to do one good thing in his life. You know, just one good thing in his life. 
And what is it that he does now that he's about almost free of his own kind of slavery to, to the master? He unburdens the burdened. He takes those debts and he kind of tears them in half. And in doing so, he gives those people, you know, a chance. He gives them an opportunity, you know, maybe with that lower debt, they're, they're able to pay that. They're able to get out from under this, this evil regime, in which they basically are amounts to economic slaves. Maybe by, by doing that simple little thing of tearing those debts in half and reducing the amount, he's giving freedom to those people. He's giving them a new chance, a new opportunity, a new life in a way. And he's not a good guy. He's not a noble character. He, he's doing one good thing in his life, and probably for, for multiple reasons. Who knows? But the one good thing he does gives freedom and life to all kinds of other people who otherwise would never experience it. And, and in doing so, maybe, maybe, just maybe, the joy and the relief of those people who have been so relieved of their burden touches him, moves him, maybe changes his heart so that by doing that one good thing, even for nefarious reasons, he becomes a good person. And maybe even more, by doing that, he touches the heart of his master who kind of admires him, not just for his cleverness, but maybe admires him also for his compassion, for, for this, this freeing of the people, giving them a second chance. Maybe he is standing like the prophet Amos in front of that very, very wealthy person and saying, check your own heart, mister. Take a second look at your life, sir. Look what you've been doing. Look what we've been doing. There's another way. And, and let us together relieve the burdens of, of, of those that we've enslaved. Let us free them. Let us give them a new life. I don't know. Maybe that's not what Jesus intended, but we can be creative with parables, can't we? <laughs> But if we do interpret it that way, I think it has a lot of bearing for us as most of us stand on the uh, threshold of our 70s. You know, we've lived our lives, a big chunk of them. We're all on the short end of the stick. As someone mentioned to me last night, it's like we're skating on thin ice and we could fall through any time. <laughs> we know that life is short now. We've grown in wisdom. We've grown in love. We've had lots of experiences. We've followed various spiritual paths. We've had lots of sadnesses in our lives, some more than others. Uh, we've had lots of joys, too. We've had lots of opportunities, most of us. Some of us have experienced sadnesses in our lives that are kind of beyond imagining. Yet here we are, you know, almost 70 years on. And... It's, it's maybe time to sort of ask that question, what did I do with these last years of my life? 
how do I make these last years of my life meaningful for me and for others? How do I make these final years of my life a gift? You know, I've been given this gift. There's no reason I should still be alive. You know, I, I, I could easily have died like so many others. Here I am. I've got some time left. How am I going to use that so that, so that those, that time is a gift for me and for others? Maybe that, that shrewd steward gives us a hint. Maybe our task, maybe our mission, maybe our gift giving in these last years of our lives is to lighten the burdens of others. Is, is to take some of those debts that are owed to us or to others and kind of tear them in half. To give people a second chance through mercy, forgiveness, compassion, kindness, charity, who knows. Um, but using the wisdom we've gained across the years, using the humility we've earned across the years, learn, using the love that's been given to us uh, by so many across the years, beginning with our parents and working our way through our wives, our children, our families, our friends. And, and using that as a gift that gives hope to others, that gives them freedom, that lightens their burdens and their lives when they go through hard times. Consolation, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, grace, you know, that's what does it. That's our way of being a good steward of these final years of our life. So wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're doing, however much money we have or don't have, whatever sadnesses or joys we've experienced in our lives, we all can do at least as much as that master and do it for good reasons. Let us use the last years of our lives to lighten the burdens of others. And thus, bring light and life and freedom to others. Does that make sense? Yeah. Good. <laughs>